you would stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. Paul writes, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Please be seated. One of the things I want us to look at this morning and I want us to begin to think about is this. A guy named Robert Bella wrote a book a number of years ago, I think probably 1985. So for some of you might think, wow, really outdated. But, um, but he wrote, he, they rewrote it again about 10 years later, so at least the intro to it is now 1995. So we're only dealing with about 12 years difference. But in this book, Robert Bella basically just starts to discuss what defines Americans and really how he starts to work about that is, what are the habits of the heart? Now, I'm not really here to discuss Robert Bella's book, although it is a good book and you might find it interesting. What I really want us to think about is what Paul is doing. Paul is really coming after us and saying, look, what are the habits of your heart? Because, see, as we've already discussed this morning, light has this interesting effect. As it begins to shine, one thing we know is this that even a little pinprick of light in the darkness is noticeable. But if light is shining bright and there's one little speck of darkness, you'll never notice it. Light is consuming. It begins to penetrate into darkness and it, by its very nature, exposes. And so Paul is now going to start to work out with this vivid imagery of light shining in and exposing. He starts to say, so what does that look like in the life of a person? What does that look like in the life of a believer? And while he's certainly still talking to some degree about what unbelievers do, his real focus is on the people of God. His real focus, as we've talked about in Ephesians, is to talk about the church, the people of God. Who are we and how do we live as individuals and as the people of God? And the real question we have to come to, and I think he's beginning to get right at the heart of it now in light of the gospel, is the habits of the heart the deep motivations of life. The heart of man is what drives him. Not just his intellect, not just his emotions, not just his will. It's all of that. That's what drives us. All of that together is the heart. And what Paul is really beginning to do here, or has been doing, has been saying, Christ comes and showers us with his love, and as he loves us, He exposes us to His light because we are children of light. Which means this, men and women, boys and girls, you no longer operate in darkness. You're not of the darkness. You no longer operate in darkness. And therefore, you ought to be people who live and walk in the light. The gospel that Paul has been speaking of all the way through Ephesians and once again draws us to consider this. Matters such as commitment 
and community in light of our common union or our communion. What we want you to see, what I'm wanting you to get out of this this morning, hopefully, what begins to impact your life is this. You are in a community. You are a part of a people. And what that should begin to do is it should begin to create habits of your heart that move away from sinful activity and move you into that which leads to life. And I'll give you an example of what that is. Confess your sins one to another. How often do you really think that's practiced among God's people? Confess your sins one to another. See, we could just have a whole sermon right now discussing why is it that as Christians we don't confess our sins one to another. Well, we could immediately go into some discussion of this. Well, it's not safe with some people to confess your sins to them because you never know what they're going to do with it. True enough, there's some wisdom there. But the reality is for most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, what's really going on is we're really afraid. If people see who I really am, they'll reject me. They will not care for me. They will not nurture me. They will think less of me. And you see what's really being exposed, men and women, is the idols of your heart. I want to be esteemed more than anything else. I want to be have status more than anything else. I'm willing to forsake everything else for this or for that or for the other. And you see how Paul is beginning to open us up and crack us open here and say, it's, it's easy to say, hey, don't go down there on, on, you know, strip row and hang out with all those prostitutes and all those strippers and all those other people. You know, now Paul clearly has that in mind. He clearly is talking about sexual deviancy in this passage. Let me make no beefs about that. He clearly is talking about those things. But see, why do people do those things? See, that's the question we've got to ask ourselves because we're not that different from a stripper. See, Scripture won't let you believe that you are. You are not any different than her. You are no different than the woman at the well who had had five husbands and was now working with the man that she was living with. We have to become people who really are willing to say, I want to live in the light. And the light exposes me. And the light draws me to consider who I really am. It cracks me open and says, I'm a mess. But I don't have to be that way and I don't have to stay that way. In fact, the whole point that Paul was bringing to us last week was you've been called out of the darkness you once were and you now are children of light. So walk in light. And so this week we come back and saying, so what does that look like to walk or live in the light? What is this looking like? Well, the first thing I want you to notice Paul brings out in verse 11 is this. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So if we wanted to look at that in a positive light, what he's really saying is have a fruitful life. Because notice what Paul's contrasting. Paul doesn't say don't bear evil fruit, bear good fruit. He says don't, pr- don't be involved in things which don't produce any fruit. 
See, he's saying there's, you've got two trees, you've got two fig trees. One actually has figs on it, one is devoid of figs. It's not just producing bad figs, it doesn't have any figs. It's unfruitful, it does nothing. What, do you, what I want you to begin to think about then is this. Light is producing in you goodness. It's producing in you rightness. It's producing in you truth. Walk in light of those things. Walk in light of God's goodness. Walk in the light of the righteousness that Christ has given you. Walk in the light of the truth of reality. And stop living in a deluded world which we all love to live in to some degree. All of us. We all want to just kind of let the resonance of the gospel kind of simmer down a little bit. Because see, what the gospel constantly says is life is bigger, life is grander, life is bolder, life is greater than you think it is. And we keep going, you know, let's not get our hopes up too high because we're liable to get disappointed. But it also exposes you to the reality that you really are bad. It's really not those other people that made you act wickedly or made you think that wrong thing or made you say that word that you have been convicted that you ought not say. The reality is it's you. And see, what Paul is saying is don't participate in the unfruitful works of darkness. Why? Because you don't need a bad gardener. I mean, think about it. If you've basically been brought in and cultivated and seeded with goodness, rightness, and truth, why do you want to go back to producing nothing? To allow the garden of your heart to just lay fallow. To do nothing. Except for grow dark. And to allow the weeds once again just to grow up. See, there's no fruit in weeds. It's just weeds. It's just thorns and thistles. It's just ugliness. Why do you want to go back to that? See, don't stay in the dark when you've been brought into light. And don't walk back into the dark. And don't leave your garden just to go to pot. What he's saying to us is light begins to create these things in you. It exposes the reality that they're there. We're to walk in the light. God has been good to me. Even when life is not going well. And men and women, I can tell you that just like many of you in this room, there are days where I think, God, do you just not care about me? Do you just not love me? There are days that I tend to think, God, I get right back on that treadmill of works righteousness and say, God, am I just not preaching good? Am I just not trying to be kind to people enough? Am I just not doing all the things? Because surely if I did those things, things would be different, right? See, I'm really no different than any of you. Because that's exactly how you all think. Whatever capacity you want to think about, it's how you think. And what I want you to understand is, as soon as you start to walk into that kind of mentality, you are going to begin to look for things which are unfruitful, which lead you back into the paths of darkness, which produce in you nothing of value at all. No fruit. Because what you're looking for is for yourself or someone else to do something that only Christ can do for you. In fact, He has done for you and is able to see 
lived out and produced in you. See, if we're supposed to walk in love, then one of the first thing we're supposed to do is stop looking for love in all the wrong places because it doesn't exist in those places. And if we're to walk in the light, then we have to admit to ourselves that we're prone to go looking for love in all the wrong places. We're prone to not tend to the garden of our hearts. And we are prone to create habits which are not in keeping with the love of Christ and with the care that He has for us. We tend to run right away from the very gospel that saved us. So, the gospel brings us back. It exposes us. And so the second thing I want you to look at here is this exposing life. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So the gospel brings us to live a brings us, as I've said before, to live in a life which is by its very nature good and right and true. And the reality is, is that if that really is true in you and to the degree that you are growing in that, and as I've said a thousand times, every Christian is growing in that by lesser or greater degrees. If you truly believe, then this is growing in you, even if you're often doing all kinds of things to stifle it. So what I'm really saying here is you can't stop what God's doing in you, but you can stop being an issue to yourself. You start saying, oh, I need to think differently about the way I am doing this. And we start asking these hard questions like, why do I keep saying that to people? Or even a harder question of, why is it that when I do X, people always do Y, and maybe I need to quit doing X? Because maybe the reason why people keep doing Y is not because they're all weird, but because I keep doing X. And that's wrong, and it's hurtful. It's not helpful. And so what I'm saying to you is we begin to see this life being transformative of us, but that also begins to affect other people around us, which is what Paul now says. Paul says, look, if you're being transformed, the effect of that is it begins to expose other people. And in fact, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Now, I'm not just saying you go out and say, you know, all this fornicating that you guys are doing out here on this college campus, that's got to stop right out. Now, there are men who feel that that's their life's calling. Every spring, Brother Jeb comes over to the University of Arizona, or usually does, and he gets his little King James Bible and sways it in the air and slaps it and calls all the girls whores and tells all the guys they're nothing but a this, that, and the other. And I mean, it's just, it's fantastic. I mean, revival just breaks out every spring on the University of Arizona. I mean, people are coming to faith left and right. Not. So what I'm not saying here is that, that you, you basically, the exp- and I don't think what Paul is saying here, he's clearly made it clear that we have to live in the world among people who are still darkness. So what I really think this is doing and what it's really saying to us is that as we become students of our own souls, we begin to become incredibly able and adept to begin to speak into other people's lives by our actions and by our words and expose them and say, do you see that this does not produce what you want it to produce? Who on this planet does not want to have a fruitful life? However you want to define fruitful life, everybody I mean, like the old commercial used to say, nobody wakes up and says, hey, today I want to be a drug dealer. I'm, I'm serious. I doubt there's very many people who wake up and are born, and the first thing in their mind when they're able to be cognitive is, I want to be a drug dealer. That's not usually people's aspirations in life. 
So what I want you to understand is, is that people make choices because they're trying to accomplish something that is fruitful and purposeful and meaningful in their lives. So the reason why they're doing the things they're doing, they believe or hope that somehow it's going to give them something that they desperately want and desire. So what is the Christian's role in society and life? Paul's saying it's to expose the reality that darkness only gets you nothing. It doesn't really lead you where you want to go. Which means that we have to have the integrity of saying we really do believe that we have something that others deeply need. Now see, that doesn't mean we lie to ourselves and say life's not hard. And it doesn't mean that we, we put on, you know, the Christian radio station, which, you know, have you ever noticed this, that up until lately, although I will say this, I listened to it the other day and I was quite impressed because there actually was a song on there about someone's struggle. I rarely hear that on Christian radio. It's always how great life is, how sweet everything is. Boy, isn't it just great to know Jesus. And what happens to the Psalms where it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How long, Lord, will you wait? What does it do with the saints underneath the altar who cry out to God, How long will you let the persecution of the saints go on? How long, Lord? See, there's a reality that we live in as Christians that we understand that we live in a world that is often hostile to our way of thinking and living. We're called to expose the realities of that end. Think about Paul before Festus, before Agrippa. Think about these men as they were called out. They sought to bear witness to the truth in a variety of ways, in a variety of circumstances. And I know I've talked to some of you, and that's exactly what you're doing. Little bit by little bit, increment by increment, you're trying just to take the veil back a little further, and a little further, and a little further. There's one family in this church that's ministering to some, a Mormon child and her family, and they just keep little bit by little bit, ebbing and blowing, trying to just bring the darkness back. Allowing the light to penetrate a little more and a little more and a little more. And all I'm saying to you is, is that that's what we're called to. And that requires you to think. It requires you to ask Christ to give you wisdom. Which, remember, Paul's going there next. Walk not as unwise, but as wise. You see how love, light, wisdom. But we need to really dig in here and say, what is the light doing to me? Is it exposing me? And am I really a person who exposes other people to the light? Not exposes other people just to their sin, but to the light. You see what happens if all you do is tell people you're a bunch of good-for-nothing so-and-sos? What does that accomplish? They need the light. They need the light of the gospel. They need to hear that, yes, you're a mess, but there's hope because of Christ and what He has done. And that means we have to be people who stop living like life depends on us and believing that life really does depend on Christ. He really is our life. Remember what it said back in verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. My life ought to be one that says, everything I do takes me to Jesus. I want to have more of Jesus. I want to know more about Christ. I want to say one last thing that, that happened to me over this 
past week that was pretty incredible. And hopefully it's an encouragement to you. We have some friends of ours that we've been trying to cultivate a relationship. I don't know how, how many of you guys have, have the ease of cultivating relationships in the desert, but um, we've, had, we've found that being um, in our neighborhoods and stuff, it takes a while for people to decide they really want to get to know you, partly because people move so much. We lived in this neighborhood with some of these folks for over seven years. And we finally have started to cultivate some relationships we've been trying to cultivate for a long time, but they seem to be having more fruition of late. And this one individual became a Christian about six months ago. And we showed up over at their house last Sunday evening. And they invited us over. And we sat there for about four hours talking. And this man, six months ago, became a believer. And he's struggling because their pastor just left the church. In fact, they're in a denomination where pastors are basically taken out of the church and sent somewhere else and they just get a new pastor. The congregation has nothing to say about it. The bishop decides and that's the way it is. And so he's struggling with that because they really love their pastor. And this is the guy he came to faith underneath. And so we sat down and we're talking about scripture. We're talking about his life and faith. And by the time we get to the end of the conversation, this man tells me, even though I never told him anything about what he should or should not do specifically, said, you know, in light of what we've been saying here, I really think I've been watching some stuff I don't need to watch anymore. I'm not helping my wife, and I'm not helping my son. I never told him what he should, should or shouldn't watch. He told me several movies they've been watching. I never expressed any... I told him I should certainly appreciate why people would like those movies cinematography-wise and the angling and the lighting and all the kind of stuff that one could get into a conversation about. But I never told him, you're wrong for watching that movie. But we were reading through Romans 13 and 14, and by the end of that evening, he said to me, I am not doing this to love Jesus well. And that needs to be, that needs to change in me. I need to love Jesus better. Now, men and women, I could tell you, well, that's because you have such a great pastor that I was able to leave this dear soul. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with Christ. It has to do with that Word of God. And as he read it and as we talked about it, he was drawn. He told me, I've never had a conversation like this with anybody. I would have never had this conversation with you six months ago. If you'd have tried to have this, I'd told you to get out of here and get lost. I had a video game to play. But see, what I want you to see is is that as you begin to get into people's lives and as you begin to slowly but surely love them and befriend them and care for them, you begin to have opportunities to expose them to the light. And that's what Paul's saying because what happens? What happens is is if you begin to expose them, then light comes into that realm, light comes into that darkness, and lots of times those people convert. Convert. Because that's really, in some ways, what Paul's really getting out of this. He's really saying, look, discipleship is what's in view here. And the key to discipleship is growing in my love of Christ and seeing that other people come to know Him and love Him too. That's disciple-making. So discipleship is being a good disciple and seeing that other people become disciples too. As much as God chooses to let it depend on me, which is not much, but I at least have some activity in it. And that's what Paul's getting at here, that we are called to make these things visible. The last thing I want us to look at then is this. It is a worshiping life. And you might look at these verse 14 and say, okay, how did you get, we got the fruitful life, we got the exposing life, how did you get the worshiping life? Well, I want you to think about this. The light of Christ shining on me leads me to God. 
And while this particular passage is nowhere to be found in Scripture, it certainly seems to give us an indication of Isaiah 60, verse 1, which says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come. It seems to have that sentiment, but certainly throughout the different texts of Scripture, we see this notion of this call to awake. We might even go to Jesus as He stands out there, and as Lazarus lies in, in the tomb, and what does Christ say? Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. We might have heard him say something like this. Awake, O sleeper. So you get the picture here of what Paul's trying to say. Paul's trying to say that, look, here's the reality. This is why it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, you might want to grab hold of that and say, ah, see there? we got to do something so that then Christ will then shine on us. And that's not at all what this passage is saying. That's why I stated it the way I did. The opening line is a call to worship. Awake! And every week, we show up in this place, and what do we have at the very beginning of our service? A call to worship. Which is basically saying this, Remember to wake up! You're awake! Be awake. If you came sleepy, wake up. Why? Because life is found here. Not in this place, but because this people are a people who walk in the light. This is a people of life. And if we're people who are alive, why were we made? What were we made for? What is the reason for being given life? It's to know God more. It's not to be better people. It's not to be really the most moral of everybody that, that's walking the planet. Those are all side effects of people who are called to worship. So you really won't understand sanctification if you don't understand that your reason for being sanctified is because you love God. And the way you show God love, God's love language, if you will, is worship. That's how we love Him. We love Him because we come to worship Him. We pray to Him. We sing to Him. We read His Word. We take of the sacraments to remember, to revel, to repeat how great is our God. We are called continuously to a life of worship. And by definition, if you pursue God, you must put away things which are dark, are deadly. But that's not the focus the focus is Christ. Christ didn't call me for good deeds. Christ called me for Himself. So that I might know Him. Good deeds are a reflection, are a reaction, are the response of those who know and love Christ because they know they have been first loved by Him. And none of that's possible unless God wakes you up. Awake, O oh sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. So, what I want us then to think about is this. Where are you today? Where are you? For some of you, you may really be asleep. You may really be dead in your trespasses and sins and I can only say what this text says. Awake. Wake up. Don't you see 
that no matter what you're doing, no amount of education, no amount of prestige or status, none of that will ever really get you what you really want. And that is to be known deeply and to be able to truly love and know others deeply. You're never going to get that from those things. Ever. Some of you believe a lie that says, you know, I've been hurt so bad, the last thing I ever want to do is get to know anybody. But the reality is, is that all that is, is just a prison that you have created that just keeps you from the love of anything or anybody. You're just imprisoned. You're just entombed. And Christ says, come out. Awake. For those of you who may just be wrestling with, so what does fruit look like? And what does, what does it look like to have my life exposed? And Well, those are great first questions. And I would say, just keep asking those questions and your answers will soon be addressed. If you're really seriously asking those questions, come talk to me. Come talk to another brother or sister in Christ who you see something in them and, and their life and as they're growing that you want to see being produced in your life. Talk to them. This is part of the reason why we have community groups, folks. That's the reason. It's for you to, to ask and to wrestle with what does life look like for the Christian? The most important thing I want to say to this, and when I say where are you today, what are the habits of your heart, is this. I want it to be our hearts cry as a church that everything that we do, we do it to, to get more of Jesus. I continue to say that the reputation that I want us to have is that we are people who are hard after Christ. That's what we're after. And if we really make that what we're really after, I have to believe that a lot of the other things that we should be as a church will begin to fall into place if we really are after Christ. Because Christ cares about the poor and Christ cares about the lost, both here in this country and abroad. Christ cares that we know more about Him and that we grow. Christ cares about our children and wants to see them nurtured. But see, the problem is, is if we don't get the first thing first, if we have all these other programs and all these other things going on, but we don't have Christ, we have nothing. We have nothing. And we want, more than anything else, to have Christ. May God make it so in our midst. Amen.